I'm Jasmine Moradi, and you're listening to the Queens of Tech podcast, a podcast series about workplace role models, where I get the opportunity to ask 60 plus questions to female influencers about their journey into STEM, science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. My vision with this podcast is to raise the workplace ecosystem for women in tech. My mission is to bridge the gap between schools and workplaces by highlighting female role models in STEM to encourage more young girls and women to unleash their full potential in these fields to reach top leadership roles. In this episode, I'm very excited to welcome my guest, tech queen Melanie Jenken, UX director at Google. Hi, Melanie. Hey, thanks for having me today. Well, I'm very happy to have you joining us from California, US today. How are you? I'm doing so well. Thank you. Happy to hear. Now, let us dive into your journey into STEM. Hope you're ready for the Queens of Tech 60 plus questions. I am ready. Let's warm up with a few fun facts about you. How would you describe your personality in three hashtags? Getting it done before and after and fun. How would you describe your life in three sentences? A journey of resilience, a journey of finding happiness, and so many adventures which I'm only part way through. What kind of music stimulates and motivates you the most? Oh, the throwbacks. So music from days at festivals growing up, like Temper Trap, or house music from my clubbing days, or just the classic Daft Punk Discovery live recording. What's your personal motto? I don't have a motto, but I have three values. Lift up others, realize my visions, and live with balance. What is your favorite book? Gone with the Wind, just an absolute classic. My first period drama romance that I ever read. What is your favorite podcast? Oh, okay, I'm devouring Financial Feminist right now. Just realized how financially illiterate I am and how much more I need to improve, and it is so amazing. Mac or PC? I mean, designer, so Mac. Say something interesting about you that most people don't know. Okay, so I got to the final round and I almost made it onto the Great British Bake Off. What is your hidden talent? Well, linked to that, I make very elaborate gingerbread. I wouldn't call it baking, I would call it more like architecture. If you were going to write a book about your life, what would the title be? Resilience. Great start. Now, let us dig deeper. Our childhood has an effect on our adulthood. Our early experiences shape our belief about ourselves, others, and the world. Now, Melanie, I want to discover your childhood. Where did you grow up? I am a child of the world, born in Melbourne, split my time between Melbourne and London until I was about 13 because my dad lived in London and my mum lived in Melbourne. So school in Melbourne, every break in London. And then my dad moved to California. So then I was going back and forth between Melbourne and California. So kind of grew up on planes and in airports. What was your dream job as a child? To be a veterinarian. What was your favorite subject in school? I loved art and science, and that's why veterinarian originally. What was your least favorite subject? Oh my gosh, languages. I just could not retain the vocabulary. <laughs> I was so bad. What is your earliest memory of technology and the arrival of the internet? I have two older brothers, and I remember my oldest brother, James, getting his first computer, and then that was shortly followed by my own because I couldn't live without having my own of that. And yeah, my brother actually led 
a lot of my technology discovery as a child. So which were the three first technology gadgets you owned? Desktop computer, Nintendo, I think it was the original Nintendo that we had, and then my own personal one was a Game Boy. Who was your female role model growing up and why? Yeah, well, I had a few. I had my mum and she ran her own business, which I think was pretty exceptional. She ran her own medical practice. And then I had such amazing female teachers at my, my high school. And then my friends. I spent so much time with my friends in my growing up in my early years. How do you think where you grew up and the school you went to and the generation you come from influence your education and career choice? Oh my gosh, so much. So yes, as I said, my mother ran her own business. You know, that was amazing role modeling for me. Um, my school was so inclusive in terms of diversity and gender diversity as well. And I also had older brothers. So growing up, like gender never, never really held me back. Uh, I feel like I didn't get some of the societal conditioning that other women did growing up. And I kind of realized that when I started in the career And then also I was extremely privileged to get a great education. I had super inspiring teachers who really supported me and would go above and beyond. I think that was like a privilege that obviously not everyone gets. And then also I had access to technology all through my childhood and that became an integral part of my life. And I think when I decided to focus on design, I naturally oriented towards digital design because I was kind of a, a digital native, even though, you know, I'm a millennial. I've had it from as early as I can remember and had the very first thing, you know, we shipped the iPhone over from the US when it came out to Australia and jailbroke it so that we could use it because I just had to try literally everything. So I think that shit like definitely influenced where I ended up in my career. That's amazing. Now I'm going to read two quotes. First one, how does the universe expect me to choose a career path at 16? I can't even choose what I want for dinner. Second, Abraham Lincoln said, the best way to predict your future is to create it. So Melanie, I want to know the choices behind your career path. What did you study at university? So I studied visual communication at Monash University. I loved art. I did fine art at school, but I wanted to make money. <laughs> so I ended up doing graphic design. And who and what influenced you to get into your chosen field? So I was actually going to study veterinary science, did work experience placement and realized I loved animals too much to do that. I actually passed out in one of the surgery rooms and a cat was being operated on. And then I changed all my subjects to art and my brother was studying visual communication at Monash University. So I literally followed him. I, he was in his third year, I was in my first year. So I had a great role model there. What professional roles have you had before that led you to the current one? I really believe that like every part of my journey has led to where I am now. So I think every single job I have had has contributed to the experience I needed to be in the role that I have. But I think the important ones were where I started to have aspects of leadership in my role. And actually my first job in Australia, where I went from a graduate to a senior designer, I had my first taste at leadership with the intern program. And I think that was pretty critical to me because I realized like leading designers is actually the piece that I love the most. I mean, I did love being an IC designer, but the leadership part was really influential for me. Everybody knows Google, but if you would explain it, what does Google do and what is your title? So I'm UX director within Google search, and I think everyone knows what Google search is, but I'm specifically focusing on part of Google search where we're trying to focus on modern creators. How did you get the job and what are your main responsibilities? 
oh my gosh so google was like just a place i always wanted to work at when i first moved to london was like 13 years ago i lived there i think i applied to like five different jobs immediately i didn't even get a call back actually maybe i had one call i didn't make any progress and then i just kind of gave up on that and i eventually after building up enough experience and my personal profile i was then approached by a google recruiter yeah so then that was three and a half years ago and um, I've been at Google since then. So I lead a UX team, so user experience, which is made up um, of designers and different user experience specialties like visual design, copywriting, UX engineering. And we also have research for about 25 uh, UXs in total. And my role is to kind of define the strategy, make sure that we have the right people doing the right things. I manage managers who are then managing the team and basically partner with our VP of product and our director of engineering and make sure that our whole team is you know, working on on the right things. What does a typical workday look like for you? So I think being in senior leadership, it's it meetings all day. <laughs> I do my job in meetings. And what I do in those meetings, I review work, I give feedback on how the team are progressing. I meet with my team. I do lots of one-to-ones. I'm meeting my stakeholders, presenting our work and our status updates to like our SVP. I am meeting with my PLE. I love the quote, choose a job you love and you will never have to work a day in your life. So Melanie, what do you love about your role? So I said earlier, one of my values was lifting others up. So I love working on a product which touches so many people and can have like such a positive impact on them. And I love that like Google search as a product has so much reach, but there's so much opportunity to make it better in the future. So yeah, it's a massive problem, super exciting problem space to work on. And yeah, challenging, but exciting. What is the best experience you've had in your role so far? Honestly, it's the people, like the people I get to work with in my team or my peers or my leads, like everyone is so talented and so inspiring and just genuinely nice. Like it's just so amazing to be in an environment where, you know, everyone is so humble, but then you chat to them and they're like, oh yeah, I launched Gmail as a 20% project in my spare time. And you're just like, oh my gosh, you are so inspiring. So yeah, definitely the people. And what would you say is the biggest challenge you've encountered so far? It's kind of the reverse of what I just said. So when I started, especially joining as a leader, just like massive imposter syndrome, you know, how am I going to live up to these expectations? How can I be good when these, you know, there's like giants around me who are just, you know, amazing at what they do. So I found that quite hard to overcome. And then also it was just quite hard to adjust to the pace of everything um, in terms of how Google operates, because it's fairly bottoms up. So there's just so many things that you can be doing. And so when you get there, it's a bit overwhelming and trying to figure out what you should prioritize um, and what you should actually work on because no one's going to tell you that you have to figure that out yourself yeah it was quite a learning curve in the beginning and how did you manage to tackle it i have had a lot of coaching actually through this process to help me focus on just being better at articulating what my own values are and what are the things that i want to work on and then being very good at prioritization so basically you know everything is urgent to someone else right and so i have to figure out what's urgent but what's also important and then how do I detach when I'm not at work so that I can actually rest and recuperate and you know be you know a healthy functional human being so that when I am at work you know I can operate well what do you wish everybody understood about your role oh my gosh no one knows what UX is like <laughs> 
so hard. My mum's like, I, I don't know what you do. Do you just put the buttons around on the page? And I'm like, I mean, I guess that is a little bit of what we do. But I, I wish people, you know, because every, every single person who uses a piece of technology experiences user experiences, basically all of the logic defining how you interact with, you know, any piece of technology and how that interaction makes you feel. And does it help you? Does it help you solve a problem? Does it help you do that in the best possible way? Does it bring you delight? Um, what are the emotions you experience? There's just so many aspects to it. And I don't think people understand, you know, what goes into that. I love it. What is the one common myth about your profession or field that you want to disapprove? I guess maybe it's what I was just saying before about people just assume we're just putting buttons on the screen <laughs> and that's all we're doing. But there's so much that goes into it in terms of all the different functions that are required, the research that we do to kind of validate, you know, what we're showing to people. And I think especially at Google, the considerations that we have around the impact of the things that we do and making sure that we are not negatively impacting society or people's lives or that we are, you know, respecting privacy and the users who use our product actually put a lot of trust into us so like it's just so deep you know the way that we have to go and I think people maybe have a little bit of a shallow understanding of it you know it's just the visual elements at the top but that's just literally the tip of the iceberg. What do you love about working in the tech industry? I love the pace like the ability to innovate and solve people's problems at scale. I mean, that's what tech enables us. The other thing is it just helps us to work, you know, and solve things for people who are in just like the most remote situations. Tech almost democratizes access to information, which, you know, I just absolutely love. Like I love serving the underdog or people who, you know, have been negatively advantaged, negatively affected by the systems or where they've grown up or, you know, those kinds of things. And I think tech can help us, you know, fix those things. Oprah Winfrey quoted, think like a queen, a queen is not afraid to fail. Failure is not a stepping stone to greatness. So Melanie, what have by far been your biggest achievement in your career? I lived in London for 11 years and for like six of those years, I ran a women's network, which was called London Tech Ladies. It's now called Rise. And we grew that to about four and a half thousand people. We, I think I ran like 55 events. They used to be every month and it was soft skill training for women in tech so that they got access to the skills that uh, men were more naturally inclined to have gotten, you know, just in their upbringing and negotiation skills, confidence, um, you know, communication skills, those kinds of things. So that's like definitely one of my biggest achievements. I think also Google, getting a job at Google and then getting promoted to director at Google was a massive moment for me. Impressive. What is the biggest factor that has helped you become successful? Any success habits? I almost burned out about two years ago. You know, I think a lot of people suffered during the pandemic. So what I'm going to say here is something that I've been working on throughout my career, but very recently I've gotten a lot better at, which is the ability to detach from work. Like I honestly believe you can be better at work if you work less. And when you aren't working, you're actually resting and, and playing and, and doing whatever it is makes you feel good as a person. And then when you are at work, you'll be so much better. You'll be so much more efficient and amazing. Doing that ability to touch has helped me to do things like I can prioritize so much better. I can figure out you know, what is satisfying and important for me to do. And I can do much better rigorous time management. How do you then measure your own performance at work? We have like a fairly 
structured performance process at Google. You, like, you literally get a rating and you get like peer feedback. Your manager gives like a summary of the work that you've done. So, you know, we have that. But I think what I actually find satisfying as a person is, you know, when we connect with our users and we see them using the thing that we have made and they talk about how it's changing their lives in some way like that is just such a satisfying moment where you just see like all of the hard work everything that we've been doing like this is why this is why we do it and what would you say is your biggest failure in your career and what did you learn from it i would say i've burned out properly once before in another role and then almost again recently about two years ago and I see that as a failure because it's my responsibility to be true to myself there will always be more work there will always be more opportunity at work and you know I used to live in a way where I was so motivated by external validation and I've really been reworking on that internally instead to make sure that I'm actually living for myself and that what I think about myself is the most important thing rather than what other people think about me. So I think allowing myself to get to a point where, you know, work was the most important thing in my life is definitely something, if I think about a failure, it's like something I wish I could go back and change because, you know, when I'm 80, I'm not going to be thinking about what I did at work or I'm going to be thinking about the things I missed, right? Because I worked too much. How would I have changed it? Yeah, I think it's, it's more the practices that I'm living to now, which is, like really brutally prioritizing how I spend my time. And I very honestly believe that no job is worth sacrificing like your mental, physical health. And I'm prioritizing those things above everything else. And that is enabling me to just be much better at work as well. But yeah, I have to be pretty strict about like my, I have set working hours. I don't work outside of those hours. I have I actually have a manifest that I've written and published at work, which I have shared with all of my team so they can hold me to account for like these rules. What would you say then inspiring and motivating you the most in your role and career right now? So the challenge that I'm working on within Google search and working for creators is so inspiring, basically enabling people to have a voice to surface people's voices and their authentic content. Like it's really super inspiring for me. And I moved roles about four months ago and yeah, I'm loving working in the search organization and all the new people that, you know, I've been meeting and yeah, it's just been super like exciting opportunity. Let us now jump into the influence on mentorship and role models. Role models can consciously or subconsciously be a powerful force in our lives. In addition, mentors can guide us through a career journey and open the world of possibilities. Melanie, do you have a mentor today? So it's interesting because my manager now, as of four months ago, who's the VP of UX for search, uh, Random Bell, was actually my sponsor and mentor for the last three years. And like was a big reason why I got my promotion. So I'm pretty lucky that that person is now also my manager. I have like this group of people, like senior UX leaders at Google who I meet regularly, who I kind of see as like my network of people I use as, as my support mechanism, which is pretty awesome. The other thing that Google has 
has is they have a group called uh, We Group, which is women empowerment, and it's all the executive level women who work in user experience. So Google is about 76 of us. And we just had a summit where we all got together for three days. Um, and that's an amazing community. So super inspiring to be a part of that group and have so many female senior you know, UX role models to look up to. Beautiful. And who is the female role model you look up to in your field? So another amazing female lead other than Brie, who I just mentioned, is Suzanne Pelican. She was actually my manager in my early days at Google. She's the VP of UX for Google Ads. She's super inspiring. Also kind of been a sponsor for me throughout my career at Google so far. How important do you think it is to have a role model and mentor during one's career? Because history shows that it has been common for more men to have it than women. Oh, it's absolutely vital. It's not just mentoring. I think a sponsorship is vital. So the difference between a mentor and a sponsor, a sponsor is someone who will actually change things for you, who will help you find a new role. Like it's someone who has that ability, maybe a, a very senior person in your reporting line or, you know, in a nearby area who can actually advocate for you at senior levels. Like that is so important. And that's what men get more of traditionally because mentors, you know, it's a little bit like coaching, but with a little bit more practical advice, but a sponsor will actually completely change your career because they will make opportunities for you. And that's you know what we need more of for women. Wow, interesting. Never heard of that before, that was new. Let's move on to leadership. Shirley Sandberg, CEO of Facebook quoted, leadership is about making others as a result of your presence and making sure that the impact lasts in your absence. What does leadership mean to you? Honestly, something I've done unintentionally throughout my career, but I've realized now is actually a big part of my leadership journey is I almost work to make myself redundant over time in my roles because I try to actually delegate a lot of what I do in my role to the people under me right, and give them the ability to step up. And, you know, I love taking breaks because I love to have people to have the space to jump in when normally, you know, that thing or that moment would have been given to me. I just find that so satisfying. Like my number one value is lifting others up. You know, there's always new roles and new opportunities. So it's not ever a case of me, you know, delegating my role away and then having nothing to do. I love it. Love making myself redundant. What do you consider a good leader versus a bad leader? big part of leadership, I think, is the environment that you create in the team. Is that environment inclusive? Like, can people be authentic and do they have a good way for them to express their voice independent of the kind of person they are? Bad leadership I've seen is more, you know, people who they're not actually listening. They're just listening to respond. They're not creating an environment where everyone has an opportunity to contribute. You know, they might ask for questions in the last two minutes of a thing and then wait for 30 seconds and say, okay, great, no questions, we'll just move on. But I spend a lot of time to build up trust and empathy in the team um, to create psychological safety. So, you know, everyone feels like it's a place that they can belong and they can actually be a part of the conversation. Who is your favorite female tech leader and why? I'm gonna stick to my previous answer and, and say, yeah, I'm gonna say Suzanne, Suzanne Pelican. How would you describe yourself as a leader? I think I am inclusive. I am a great manager because I get so much satisfaction out of developing other people. I'm pretty obsessed with the product, not in a micromanagement way, but I am really pushing the team to deliver something really exceptional. So like very product detail and detail driven in terms of what we're actually going to ship to our users. And as a leader, what values are most important to you? 
I would say the ability to create psychological safety for the team, the ability to articulate a vision and then enable the team to understand the concrete steps to actually realize that so that you know they know that that thing can be achieved and you know how we're going to measure you know our performance on the way to that end goal the ability to remove roadblocks along that way you know there's something that people really underestimate which is the power of praise and recognition like me sending a small note or a message to someone to say like thank you that thing was great is so influential and powerful and we don't just give enough positive praise and realize like the impact that that has so that's something i'm being trying to be more conscious of recently what leadership lessons have you learned that have formed you into the leader you are today? A pretty common one that a lot of designers go through when they move from being an individual contributor to being a manager is managing how you step away from the work and allow others, you know, to do that and how you give feedback and like make sure the projects are going well without micromanaging. I think it's pretty easy to especially in the beginning it's much faster for you to just do the work yourself because you've gotten to like a level of seniority and experience and you know I definitely went through that you know when I was in my first formal management role at eBay and you know got to a point where I had like someone in my team just saying like Mel you're absolutely micromanaging us and you know we really need more space in this and that was a real like wake up moment for me that my drive for quality was having a negative impact on people so I've really been so conscious of that since then and just trying to find ways to you know make sure the work is going well um, and the way that I do that now is by asking questions try to very rarely say what someone should be doing and instead I just ask them questions about the work that they're doing and the way I frame those questions usually like implies the feedback that I have. So connected to that, what would you say are your three strengths and three weaknesses? Oh, okay. Three strengths. I get stuff done. Like I'm super motivated by ticking things off the list. So uh, execution, I love to architect a vision. So I love like taking something which that might be seen broken and then, you know, imagining what that thing can look like. So the before and after, yeah, I'm very good at making other people enjoy their experience. Like you know, working on projects and, and making sure that they find working on the team meaningful. Then my three weaknesses, I'm so hard on myself. I think it's pretty common with women. Like I'm my own biggest critic. I actually have a photo on my desk of me as a child to like when I'm being super tough on myself to actually be like, hey, you're being hard on young Mel here. Like this is not good. What's the other thing? My other weakness is my default is to take on too much myself. So I have to be very conscious of that. Yeah, my other weakness is like, I have a whole lifetime of programming that I'm undoing right now, which is where what I used to care about most was what other people thought about me. And, you know, I was chasing my promotion. I was chasing all these like external validation points because that's what I deemed to be my worth. And that drove my behavior a lot actually. And so that's a weakness that I am consciously managing. Let us now jump into the hottest topic in business today, workplace culture, unlocking the power of diversity, equality, and inclusion. What do diversity, equality, and inclusion mean to you personally? Diversity is the representation of the people who you have in your organization and making sure that you do have a diverse representation. And that's not just race or gender, like there's so many aspects to that. Inclusion to me is that then all of those people feel like they have access to the same things and you know feel safe 
if to kind of contribute their opinion. But equality is actually the most important thing here because there's this assumption that, oh, everyone should have the same access as the right solution. Like equality is where you actually look at what you're providing to each person. You make sure that considering their circumstances, they have the same ability to contribute, which might mean that they get a slightly different framework that they have to operate within to other people so that they can contribute in the same way. Um, I think a good way to think about that is maybe someone who is in a wheelchair. Like if we give them exactly the same thing as someone who can walk, like they're not going to be able to participate in the same way. Like we have to make some extra consideration so that they actually receive equality, you know, and access to things in the same way a person who can walk can. What would you consider being three to five signs of good company culture if you were to join a company? Yes, and this is something you can like look for when you're interviewing basically and you should you know have these kind of key questions that I would be asking an, a company. So I would ask what is the personal development process at this company? You know how do people progress? Is this a clear way? How do people get feedback? Is there a good healthy mechanism for that to happen so that people feel like they have access to new opportunities? The other would be that retention is good that you know people are happy and satisfied with their manager and and the leadership that they're staying within i think you can see pretty clearly you know if there's high turnover that people leave bad managers right and they, they leave bad leadership so that's pretty good indicator of the culture of the team another would be how meetings are like you can tell in a meeting do you ever hear a dissenting opinion do you ever hear someone speak up and ask a pretty open or maybe slightly challenging question do people speak up like is there a, a way for them to do that i don't know it depends on the forum but that gives you a pretty good indicator of the culture if people feel psychological safety they're much more likely to do those things so as a woman, what has been the most significant barrier in your career and how have you overcome these challenges? I still experience as a woman, you know, the messaging that society tells you, right? That your value is in your appearance. Everyone has to like you. And I still had that, even though I, you know, I was raised around men and I had some strong female role models. So I definitely still had to overcome my like requirement to be liked and this it's really hard for women like you know to be told don't challenge don't be seen as being you know super critical or aggressive because then you're just like bossy and aggressive and make sure everyone likes you and that you're bringing everyone together and you know that's kind of your role in my last few years in my career, I've kind of gotten to this point where I'm okay with the fact that not everyone's going to like me. And that's really liberating because that's like deep reprogramming my brain from that perspective. That allows me to be more myself and dissent and to say things that I'm uncomfortable with because I don't mind if, you know, there's going to be people who don't like what I'm saying or doing, which I think men are much more comfortable to do. So that's been a pretty big thing for me. The other is I've had so much of time in my career where I've been the only woman in the room and I've usually been so much younger than everyone else because I progressed pretty quickly and I went straight into the workforce. That's been so hard to be the only one who looks like me. I've had to go and find, you know, my peers outside of um, my direct team. And that's why I started the Women's Network, you know, when I was in London. And then I you know, was surrounding myself in the environments to make sure that I had that, even though I didn't necessarily have that at work all the time. Then why do you think it's important for more women to join the tech industry, especially as leaders? 
this is amazing. Like women hold 75% of the buying power. Women are in so influential to the economy that the fact that companies have still not realized this, like the ability that they have to actually make more money by having more women in senior positions is crazy to me. It is just mind boggling. So in tech, especially, it's definitely more important for women to join. I think actually we now are seeing higher rates of women in education than men. And, you know, we need to capitalize on this talent. We need to make sure that women see themselves in the leadership and then can like progress, you know, through into different levels within the technology industry. You know, not just women, it's just all angles of diversity. Like we will make better products in technology if we have better representation because we'll be much more likely to consider all different aspects of how culture and society will, you know, interact with this product. I agree with you, but as you also said, there's a lot of challenges getting there. So how do you or do you speak with your female and male colleagues about these challenges, especially, you know, salary gap, company culture, etc.? Yeah, we have quite a few active discussions. I think Google is pretty good about promoting and giving space for people internally run their own groups and committees focused on you know how we're improving our um, DE&I for our team and we do a lot of kind of representation to the broader team about you know what it's like to be from an underrepresented group and what your experience is actually like to build more advocacy and empathy across the group. The other aspect of this, which is important that we focus on is not just how our team is set up and who we have in our team, but who we're actually designing for in our products. And how do we make sure that the products we make are inclusive so that when people are interacting with Google products, they actually can have a fair and equal experience. And that is something that the tech industry is still coming to terms with at the moment. Yeah, I guess it's just about building that advocacy, sharing the stories, and then working pretty intentionally on improving you know, our representation as well. Yeah, and there are many public and internal discussions overall going on right now about the various women face from reaching higher positions, especially in the tech industry. How do you feel it has affected, is affecting you? And what is your advice how to best unlock these roadblocks? You know, one of my roles, I loved the team, I loved what I was doing, and that I had a male manager and they left. And then we had a skip level manager was a man and they were all amazing. And then I actually had a woman join. They became my manager. And I don't know, it was just one of those women who see other women as competition rather than, you know, take the role of kind of lifting them up and actually end up leaving that role pretty quickly after that. And that's something that's it's really sad to me that there are so few spots for women society has conditioned us to see each other as competition rather than giving us enough space so that you know we can see the benefits of having you know more of us in the room because if there's only one chair for a woman you know and we're all fighting for it it's just so unfortunate so that was yeah a pretty hard moment for me because I've actually had just amazing and supportive women in my life before that experience and leaving was my best option at that point and unfortunately I've mentored a lot of women and they've described like the environment that they're within and I I've had this, you know, realization moment with them where it's like, you do not have the ability to change that culture, right? What you can do, unfortunately, is find a culture that will be more inclusive for you, where you will have, you know, equal opportunity and the ability to progress. And unfortunately, a lot of companies are still terrible at diversity and inclusion. So women have to be super intentional about, you know, where they apply. And not everyone has that privilege, which is the truth that they can't just quit and move on. But that is is the strongest thing that we have. We have spending power and we have our decision making over like where we actually work.
Yeah, and so many tech companies are working on marketing campaigns, attracting women, but I would say that the challenges they have is not attracting because women want to go in, is actually retaining them. So what is your best advice or strategies for companies can work to build a stronger corporate culture that engages uh, diversity? Yep. And so specifically for women. So it actually answers attraction and retain. Do you have women in your leadership team? Do you actually have role modeling and women who can help other women progress up the chain? What we spoke about earlier around sponsorship is like, do you have people who will advocate and move things around and create opportunity for other women? And you know, usually that is women who will do that for other women. So making sure that we have enough of that representation at the senior levels. And that actually attracts more talent as well like I've done a little bit of consulting for some external companies and you know someone was saying to me like hey we really want to hire a woman but we're not getting any applications so there just aren't any I was like no that's not true and I was like here's your web page and here are all the white men in your executive team and there are no women so I'm sure that women are not applying because they don't see themselves in your leadership team yeah the other thing in terms of retention is we have to we have to recognize the fact that women have grown up in a completely different environment from men they have you know so many different barriers to how they can succeed so we can't just give them exactly the same that men have like we actually have to provide a lot more to support them we have to push them much harder to promote themselves to even apply for promotions because they're just not naturally going to do those things so they have to have you know more mentorship and sponsorship from people who will advocate for them and push them and encourage them to do those things because it's just not the natural inclination necessarily so what would you say are the few challenges and possibilities of implementing diversity quality inclusion culture in a workplace today? Why is it so challenging? You still have companies who are thinking about it because they know it's how they get good employees in the company. They aren't actually thinking about it because they want their company to change. And that's like fundamentally going to fail. So honestly, the way that DEI improves is by having leadership who believe in it, because you have to change so many things at so many levels in the company to make sure that you can actually attract and retain and progress people through all different levels who you know come from a diverse representation of backgrounds. What I'm seeing in a lot of companies, you know, at the moment, the bottom level, you know, people believe in it and they want to improve it. But if they don't have a leadership team and, you know, the ultimate leader who actually believes in it and who will make changes, then it's doomed to fail. And one of these companies, what would you say to their CEOs about uh, the benefits from having workplace gender diversity, especially better gender presentation at C-level? Yeah, like, do you want to make more money? I mean, that's motivating, right? Do you want to build products and ship products that meet the needs of more of society? Do you want to better meet the needs of women who are, I think it's predicted to be almost 80% of the spending power within the household in the US in the next few years. Like if you want to do that, you need to have those people representing in your organization. Unfortunately, money is the motivator here. So the most influential narrative I've seen around this is the business case that people build to say why doing this is good for the business. How much do you think the industry has changed regarding this subject since you joined? Oh my gosh so much like barely was even talked about you know when I was starting out there weren't even names for the things that I was experiencing um I just knew that it was it was hard to be a woman there is a narrative around it now there's much more conscious understanding about it and there's a lot more experience in the industry 
to make meaningful change. We still have so far to go, but there is very motivating amount of, I think like quite serious intention to actually improve this because it's linked to the revenue of the business now. Like I think that's so clear. So you have a lot of people taking it very seriously. So based on what you said, looking back on your career, what one thing would you have changed in your working environment to break the bias? To have people who, which is generally cisgender white men, but you know those who are represented at the majority, to have had a easier mechanism for them to experience even just for a singular moment what it's like to actually be excluded right in these environments because that empathy that will change behavior that will change everything i see this with with allies they're like i want to help but because they haven't experienced it themselves it's so hard to actually to make meaningful change and you've already explained all the amazing work you do in this area, but even going further as a leader, what will you do to improve the bias for the next generation of women in tech? So role modeling, so important. I still think we have a way to go with girls, basically, in school. Like, how do we make science cool? How do we make maths cool? Like, those are still stigmatized as male-based subjects. And I think in some societies, especially more privileged areas, there's been a lot of intentional work with schools to, you know, make those subjects more appealing for women and to improve the representation. Because honestly, girls will look up, well, I only see men working in that so like why would I want to do that so I think that's something that would really improve it as well as thinking about how we message this through all the other subliminal messaging that children receive you know whether it's the writing on their clothes the representation in their stories like these things make a massive difference I think we've been focusing much later on in the journey which is like you know how do we get people at higher levels of education into tech it's like how do we actually make them think about tech when they're kids I think that's where we're really going to make a big change let us now move on to another hot topic in business, which is workplace balance and mental health. You have without a doubt a busy lifestyle and you also share with us that you experience burnouts. How do you take care of yourself to maintain a good mental health today? Yes, today is very different to if you'd asked me this two years ago. I have my wellness manifesto and in that I have my values very clearly stated. I have a very clear articulation over how I want to be working, like what my role should be. Then I have some kind of principles around how I live with balance. Like what am I doing from a wellness perspective? I basically have articulated like work should never stop me from doing the activities that I need to do to be a happy and healthy human being. And so for me, that means means three workouts a week, taking an hour lunch break so I can actually eat a healthy meal and have a short walk, that I can have a few days working from home where I can be more flexible. Like these things make such a big difference to me, but also detaching from work, you know, around four or five o'clock in the afternoon so that I can then have the rest of the day to just, you know, live my life so that I get a good sleep. Like honestly, sleep is a really big thing for me in enabling this. I mean, this all sounds amazing, but unfortunately a lot of people have to like hit the bottom to actually realize like all of these things and when you say it it's just like of, of course eating well makes you feel good of course sleeping makes you feel good but we sacrifice those things for work so much and like the reality is I'm not a heart surgeon no one's gonna die if I don't do my job right but I might die if I do my job too hard 
Well said. What is one thing that motivates you every day to get out of bed? My husband. I have an amazing partner, Max. He is so supportive and we've built such an amazing life together and we're true equal partners. He just brings me so much joy. I you know, I wake up, I see him in bed every day and, you know, makes me smile and yeah, I love living my life with him. What is then your advice on how companies can create a more mentally healthy workplace in the new now? I think we have to talk about this. Like we have to accept the fact that people are so overwhelmed and they're burning out at like a systemic rate to be really conscious over the fact that this is happening and be intentional about how we allocate work, how we understand people's capacity. Like I'm rolling out an initiative I started a couple of years ago coinciding with my own burnout, um, which is a thing called a wellbeing plan, where basically we train managers on how to facilitate, you know, a really structured and helpful conversation conversation with all of their reports about defining what their own well-being means for them and the things that they have to do to maintain that well-being and what's stopping them from doing that today and basically setting an action plan which you know the manager can work with them over time to kind of improve that and just making conversations about well-being regular and intentional. Now let us wrap up with a few words of wisdom and a piece of advice for our listeners. Melanie, what is the best piece of advice you've been given that has helped you during setbacks in your role and career? flip your internal monologue upside down. So what do I mean by that? When you are hearing that voice inside your head, which is usually so negative and mean, what I was told once is to instead imagine you're talking to your friend and just notice how different you are and how, you know, how much more kind you are. And that's so powerful. So sometimes when I'm feeling a little bit kind of worried about a situation or getting stressed about something, I talk to myself in the way I would talk to my friend. And basically like you feel physically, you can feel how great it feels to be supported. And we can do that to ourselves, which is just so powerful. And then what is the worst advice you have ever been given and how did you tackle that one? That I don't have any self-esteem and the best thing that I could do is listen to more Oprah Winfrey podcasts. But yeah, I heard that from a leader. What did I do to tackle this? I mean, that was a long conversation of, well, that was just the tip of what was said, was realizing that not everyone's opinions are important and that some things that are said to you should be ignored. What women tend to do is something happens to them and they ruminate and like overthink that thing beyond the point of learning that is valuable. And so sometimes something should happen and you should just be like, okay, that happened and you should move on. Is there something you wish you would have known or a skill you wish you had when starting out in the tech industry? I don't know, I'm a real believer in the things that have happened to you have brought you where you are. So I wouldn't go back and change anything. If I was gonna go back, I would probably just say to myself like this is going to be hard there are going to be challenges right like this is this is the reality but you have the resilience like you will rise to all of these challenges and after each challenge you're actually going to be better and it won't feel that way in the moment but strength comes through these periods of you know discomfort um that's where you grow in those moments so maybe just an understanding that it would be hard but that's okay that's expected and what advice would you give to young girls and women wanting and trying to break into the STEM fields today? 
the best thing that you can do is find a place or a person or a situation where you feel like your future or like your progression is you know going to be well supported and what do i mean by that is there role modeling of people who look like you there are they going to be people where you feel like you'll be able to be sponsored or mentored like is it an environment where your best intentions are going to be represented that is a place to kind of to focus and you might not find that you know where you are and if you don't then there's so many opportunities like networks that you can join or you know people that you can find like Cheryl Sandberg started the lean in circle group which was actually how my network started originally it was just five of us women getting together and supporting each other and that was the most powerful thing that happened in the early days of my career last but not least what is next for you in your role and career in tech what are your career aspirations so i'm pretty new in google search so um i'm pretty excited about you know what the next few years will look like and the things that i'm working on here internally i mean i just got promoted to director last year so i'm i'm pretty happy taking a break from <laughs> thinking about any progression and i'm pretty happy with where i am and it's kind of a moment for me where i'm actually prioritizing just happiness in my life above like career progression and i actually feel like career progression will come because i am you know making sure that i'm prioritizing being healthy and being happy so that's my main focus right now Melanie, thank you so much for being a guest on the Queens of Tech podcast. Sharing your journey will without a doubt inspire, change and reshape company culture for the new generation of women in tech. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you have worked in the tech industry a minimum of three years and would like to share your journey, please nominate yourself or somebody you know to i at jasminemoradi.com. For more podcast episodes and to learn more about the Queens of Tech initiative and to support us, visit queensof.tech.